May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. We're not exactly sure about the nature of the two incidences that Jesus is talking about um, in the gospel lesson this morning, uh, specifically the, the incident of Pilate murdering some Galileans or a tower that's in Jerusalem falling on people. Um, but we can assume that these sorts of things actually happened all the time. Um, what Jesus is describing are two wildly different um, events, both equally um, distressing uh, one of them seemingly a murder, the other an accident, but both resulting in uh, the deaths of number, uh, at least numerous people. And we've all seen these sorts of things um, in our own day, right? This is the sort of thing that goes on not just in Jesus' age, but in every age. You look on the television, um, you open up a newspaper, you go a, a news website, however it is you get your news, and you see um, men and women who who die uh, what seems to be tragic and senseless deaths. Um, it strikes fear in our hearts. Uh, we, we despair for the families of people who lose uh, loved ones. Um, we realize how fortunate we are to have avoided those sorts of things ourselves, but also how precariously fragile life is, that it really is, is, is quite fragile as, um, as we go through it. A couple incidents, just to want to kind of refresh your memory. Um, uh, both of these happened just about one year ago um, from, from now. Um, uh, this guy, Andreas uh, Lubitz, I think is this how you say his name. He's a co-pilot, Flight 9525. It was going from Barcelona um, to Dusseldorf in Germany. Uh, it was expected to be a short flight. Uh, 150 people on board this plane. Um, Andreas is the co-pilot. The pilot steps out of the cockpit for a moment to uh, to speak with a flight attendant or, or to examine something that was going on. And um, the co-pilot gets up and he locks the door. He puts the uh, the uh, takes the pilot the plane off of co-pilot or off of autopilot rather and puts the the engine thrusters to to full speed and then takes the nose of the airplane and he points it directly at the ground. And all 150 people in the plane perished that day. Um, the, the later the flight uh, audio recording was later, you could hear the pilot pounding on the door, trying to get back in the cockpit, people screaming in the plane. Um, on board that plane were people just like the people who are sitting in this room. They were just average people. They were... Um, they were businessmen and women. They were grandparents and parents. Um, there were 16 high school sophomores who were returning from a trip in Spain and their two teachers on board that plane as well. It was a normal day, day like any other. I can imagine the teenagers, can't you, in the airport before they're leaving. They're getting their last text messages in. In two hours, they're going to be home, and they're making plans with their friends for the evening. Um, phone calls were being made. I'll be there for dinner. You know, those sorts of things, the things that we do. There was no problem with the aircraft. There was no problem with the weather. The only problem was in the mind and heart of a person who had control of the aircraft. And 150 people perished. Another thing that we all know about, we've all heard about the, um, the Islamic State uh, of Iraq and Syria, or sometimes called the Islamic State of of, uh, of Syria and the Levant, ISIS or ISIL, however you prefer. Um, you remember last February, just one year ago this week, they released a video that they had beheaded 21 Coptic Christians 
21 Egyptian Christians who had traveled over to Libya to work on an oil rig or something that had been kidnapped and then beheaded for one crime, that is, that they were Christians. And I thought about how the people on flight 9525, the people who got on that airplane that day, just as easily could have been on flight 1027 or 4208 or whatever the numbers that they have. They went through and just kind of, you know, how you do. You, you select a, a plane and you take it. And, and if they had gotten on one of those other planes, they wouldn't have ended up buried in the French Alps. They would have made it home. They would have done the things that they planned to do. Or these poor Coptic Christians, if they had not taken an oil rigging job in Libya and instead stayed home and become a shoe salesman or a tour guide or whatever you might do, worked in a factory, uh, they would be sitting at home right now drinking coffee, smoking cigarettes, talking about religion and politics. That's what they do in Egypt, I guess. So, you know, they would have done those sorts of things. That That's what they would be doing. But they didn't. They did take those flights. They did take those jobs. And because they did, tragedy struck. Here's a question to ponder. You've pondered it before. Maybe it's been difficult to deal with. Maybe you kind of push it to the back of your mind. I don't want to answer that. I don't want to think about that question. And, and I'm sorry, but you have to think about it this morning. How do we avoid that mistake? How do we avoid the mistake of choosing the wrong flight or taking the wrong job? And you know the answer. We can't. You know, I mean, it's there, right? We, uh, there, we, we all hold together these two contradictory axioms. I know you do it. I'm, we're all contradictions. We are. We just live with that, right? But we hold these together. The first one comes from, um, you know, uh, our famous American folk singer, Bob Dylan, right? The times, they are a-changing. Anybody ever? You look around sometimes and you think, wow, the times, they are a-changing. You thought that, right? Just nod like this. Pretend like you thought it. Yes, of course you have. Everybody thinks that. You're like, I can't believe this. The other one that you hold, and I hold as well, we all kind of hold these together, is the more things change the more they stay the same. We believe both of these things to be true, don't we? The times they are changing, and the more things change, the more they stay the same. The gospel lesson today embraces the latter. You have to understand a little bit about what's going on politically. Galilee is a hotbed of sort of Jewish nationalists who hate Rome. They hate the Roman occupation. They want Rome out. They want to start a war with Rome to get the Romans to leave. If they figure it... Maybe they can't beat them in a war, but what they can do is they can pester them so much that they'll give up and not just, it's not worth it. You know, we don't even want this country. Let's just go home. And so they are all kinds of sort of, um, you know, uh, guerrilla tactic fighting that, that come from Galilee. Uh, the Galileans were, were peasants and, and they would tell stories of one another about a, a couple generations ago when a, a, a peasant Jew named Judas Maccabeus rose up to fight the then world power of the Syrians. If Judas could do it back then with the Syrians, why not us now with the Romans? Now is our time. And this sort of sentiment kind of was, was widespread, as I said, throughout Galilee. And so Galilee was kind of a, a trouble spot. The governor, in the Roman governor in Jerusalem was Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the one who, who eventually crucifies Jesus. He knows where the trouble spots are. I mean, he's like a, every good governor, every good uh, ruler. They know where the trouble spots are. And so they're watching. They're, they're constantly, uh, uh, you know, attuned to this sort of thing. And so here's the story that people are coming up telling Jesus. There's some people who come up to him and say, you know, what about the story about these Galileans? We don't know how many of them there were. Let's just say that there were a dozen. Let's say there were a dozen men, you know, coming from Galilee, coincidentally, just like Jesus and his friends, a dozen men coming from Galilee, going to Jerusalem, and they're going for an annual festival where they would offer a sacrifice 
a lamb, some small birds. And and imagine these men walking in a band. They go into the city of Jerusalem, and they're buying their their animals to to offer in a sacrifice. And there's a rumor about town. This dozen men are thinking about starting a riot. They're thinking about getting some Roman soldiers into a, a, a crowd and stabbing them with daggers. This happened all the time. And, and, and Pilate gets wind of this. What do you do if you're the ruling governor? Well, you know you what you do. You set up a plan. You're going to squash this, um, this uh, violence. You're going to squash this plan. And, and so he, he puts together sort of a, a crack squad, you know, of soldiers to go out and eliminate this threat. I was trying to think this morning what, what, what we call these secret police, the Gestapo. Um, I had to, had to uh, grill Linda Petty earlier, like, what were, the, what were the Russians called? KGB. That's right, the KGB, yeah. Or, in our world, the CIA. You know, we, we have these undercover agents, and, and I imagine Pilate, this is, this is uh, just my working through this thing, might have been a little different, but imagine Pilate sends out his little crack staff uh, of, of undercover covert that's, that's redundant. You know what I'm saying. These, these covert um, soldiers to go out and to squash this rebellion. They have a little stakeout, you know. They're, they're hanging out somewhere near the temple. And here come this little band of Galilean uh, men with their animals. And, and the soldiers jump out. And they slaughter them in the street. They stab them. They even kill the animals. Leave them all lying there dead in the street. As a message. You think about starting a rebellion? This is what you have to look forward to. Now imagine that story gets around through the town. How does it how does it sound when when the Jews tell the story? Patriots murdered by the police in the streets. That's how they tell the story. And you know, of course, how the Romans tell the story. Terrorists intercepted and eliminated. Depends on who's telling the story, right? But Jesus is a Jew, and his friends are Jews, and these patriots have been killed. They've been they've been um, been murdered by the police in the streets. And Jesus talks about that. And then he tells them, well, you know what, there's another story also. Remember the story about these people who were walking down the street in Jerusalem? And there's this, this building, this tower. It, you know, more like, a, more like a big building, you know. It, and it fell, like a whole wall just fell. And there were people walking down the street, and, and they got hit by this wall. And there were people in the building. And there were people who were nearby that bricks fell off and hit. Eighteen people died in this accident. Jesus says, remember this story too. And then he links these two things. He links these two stories and he says, do you suppose that the people who died in these two events deserved it more than other people? Do you think that they were just more deserving of death than other people? And the obvious answer, of course, is no. They weren't more deserving. Then Jesus turns it on its head. And he says something that has to be terrifying to people who are listening to him. He says, let me tell you something. Unless you repent, you too will die just like that. And people had to be, had to be like this had to be awestruck. Like, why are you saying this to us? Because the odd truth is, is whether you repent or not, the same future awaits, right? You're either going to die in an accident by um, by disease, by old age, or by some you know the hand of some nefarious uh, uh, action. It, this is what happens to all. So here's what I think. I don't think Jesus is contrasting you'll you'll live or you'll die. I think he's contrasting the the notion of a tragic end and a glorious victory. 
Your life is either going to have a tragic end, my life is either going to have a tragic end, or it's going to have a glorious victory. This, these are the two opposites. These are the, the, the points of contrast. If you read back and read chapter 12 and saw the whole conversation that's going on, I think it goes like this. I think what I would paraphrase Jesus as saying, unless you're willing to live the life of an authentic follower of God from the heart, doing good, wanting to be the, the kind of person that God would be in this world, the kind of person who, um, who, who wants to uh, embrace and, and love humanity, who wants to be kind to other people, um, if, unless you want to be the kind of person who, who embraces God's love for creation and his people, then your life is going to have a tragic end. Israel is going to have a tragic end. Unless they're willing to shake off this kind of form of religion and embrace authentic relationship with God that's lived out in a real way in the world, there's going to be a tragic end. And I know this because he tells a story, doesn't he? He tells a story. You know, there's this guy. He owns this vineyard. He's a, he's a winemaker. You know, he's, he's got a nice little business going. And, and as often does, um, winemakers, vineyard owners, would, um, would plant a fig tree in their vineyard. They had some space. They would plant a fig tree, and they'd have figs, and they would also have wine, uh, grapes for wine. Um, but this guy plants a tree, and a couple years go by, and guess what? Not a single fig. And so he says to one of the people who work for him, cut that tree down. There's no figs growing on that tree. It's a waste of space. Cut it down. And the guy who's working says, whoa, 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 just give me a year. Let, let, me, let me take care of it. Maybe it just needs a little tender loving care, a little, little fertilizer, a little, little pruning here and there. Give me a chance. Let me see if we can get something growing on here. And the owner says, that's fine. But if not, cut it down. Unless you're authentic, unless I'm authentic, unless we live as authentic followers of God, we're going to get cut down. There's a tragic end that waits. You know, I think during Lent, it, it, it's, there's a tendency in the church especially um, to, uh, to turn repentance into something like shame and guilt and um, this sort of morose navel-gazing, <laughs> oh, what a terrible person I am, um, that sort of stuff. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. Not at all. I don't think you, I think there's real joy, there's real energy, there's real, there's real delight in living the life that God wants us to live. It's not about, you know, I get his arm up behind our back, you know, he, he's got our arms up behind our back, and, and if we don't give in and don't do it, well then, well then he's gonna break our arms or whatever. No! Following the law of God is a delight, it's a joy, it's, it's a way to find the most out of life. So repentance is not about asceticism, it's not about a dour piety, it's not about becoming a sanctimonious jerk. That might be fun to try for a week. But no, I'm joking. It's not about any of those things. That was a joke. You can laugh. Um, it's, about, it's about embracing humanity. It's about embracing God's love for us and for one another. And it's also about this. It's also about fully trusting in the Lord with our whole lives. It's about being willing to trust even when it seems insane. Chapter 12, Jesus said, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Worry? Of course we worry. <laughs> what, we don't worry about food and clothing? We're covered there. We don't live a peasant lifestyle. We worry about other things, like paying the mortgage. Right? Retirement. 
What's that? Um, all those sorts of things. We, we worry about, about the gas bill, maybe. I don't, I don't know what it is that you worry about, but we worry about stuff. And, and, and I worry about stuff. And Jesus is saying, unless you're willing to trust God with your whole life, give everything. He says, so this, this is crazy. Fear not, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. For where, for where no thief uh, approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now that's crazy living right there, isn't it? Sell your possessions. Come on, I need my stuff. Right? I'm holding on to it. Take my stuff. Um, it's a radical, free, crazy way to live. I saw an article um, uh, this week uh, that uh, it talked about this study done at the University of Kentucky where they did text analysis of pop songs from, uh, since 1980. From 1980 to 2007, the, the researchers took the, the top 100 pop songs from the Billboard Top 100 songs, and they did uh, text analysis on the song titles. Okay? And they found that as the years go on, that there's this dramatic uptick in the use of first-person singular pronouns in the song title, me and I. And a, and a correspondingly uh, a decline in the um, the second person plural uh, and the collective pronouns you and ours. So whereas songs used to have lots of uh, of us and ours and yous, uh, and um, now they're almost all first person singular me and mine. Uh, it, it, and the the article goes on to to suggest that there is a this um, this uptick in narcissism. It, it, said, it read this. It said, all this singing about me, the researchers concluded, showed that the larger culture was becoming more self-centered, less socially connected. One of the study's authors, of uh, this guy uh, Campbell, he says in this television interview, narcissism is like the flu. Everybody around you gets sick and you feel great about yourself. We live in a culture that is obsessed with self. It is obsessed with self and oblivious to God and other people. It's, it's like it's a complete reversal of priorities. And I think what Jesus is saying is that we have to admit that we get infected with that flu. I mean, it's, it, it's contagious, isn't it? it? It just clings to us. And repentance is saying, no more. I think what he's saying, I, I think what Jesus is saying is that life is fragile. And the question is, how are we going to live it? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.